The Your Mark on the World show is made possible by our sponsors, including Gate Global Impact, Seed Equity Ventures, and Patch of Land. Welcome to Your Mark on the World, bringing you another changemaker with champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Mark on the World show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. And our guest today is Steve Grizel, the founder and managing director of InnoVentures. Steve recently returned from a trip to Egypt where he was advising the country on building a proper in- ecosystem for startups. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Devin. Great to see you this morning. Well, we're glad to have you back, Steve. You talked to us a little bit about your ideas before you went to Egypt, and it's fun to have you come back and give us a little bit of a report. What did you see there that especially interested in the things that might have changed your view of what you had carried with you when you left? So I went with my wife and my two kids, 11-year-old and 13-year-old, and no sooner did we hit the airport in Cairo than we realized we weren't in Kansas anymore. There were lines of, I'll use the term loosely, uh, peasant men and women probably coming back from Mecca, really long lines, complete chaos, all of them yelling at the top of their lungs, and this was about 11 o'clock at night, trying to sneak past the customs immigration because they were tired of waiting. And the customs and immigration people would, the one guy in particular was just screaming at them, running out of his booth as they tried to sneak behind him to get through, yelling at him, pushing him back out of the way. I remember looking at my two kids and thinking, I wonder what they think of this. And my daughter pointed out, she goes, look at those women who are completely veiled. They just have this little screen that they can look out of. Yeah. So we knew we had arrived in a very different place. Um, And additionally, there were no directions as to how you actually could get into the country. Turns out there's a tourist tax and you have to go to a bank, pay it, and get a receipt before they'll give you a visa, there's no sign anywhere that tells you to do that. Wow. So the confusion and sort of uh, uh, loss of, you know, how do I really operate here started from the time we got off the plane. Yeah. Continued uh, in some ways throughout the trip. You know, the rules weren't the same, and we didn't know where the rule book was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So as you got into the meetings with the entrepreneurs and such, what were some of the differences you saw there? Um, I'll set some color to this because it kind of combines the travel part. So the very first meetings I had were – Uh, in the little town of Giza, which is famous because the pyramids of Giza and the Sphinx are there. And we had stayed, uh, we had booked a place to stay at a little bed and breakfast with a uh, outdoor balcony patio that looked out onto those 
uh, pyramids and sphinx. And I mean, several hundred yards away, certainly no more uh, than a quarter mile to the sphinx at most. And that we sat, I sat with two entrepreneurs who were the founders of startup grind Cairo, which is a kind of, uh, it's not really an accelerator. It's a networking hub for entrepreneurs and was really struck by their commitment. They really are uh, passionate about making entrepreneurship work. And that felt really good, right? Smart, passionate. Uh, They knew all the right buzzwords. And here we are looking out onto the Sphinx, having a conversation with Egyptians about 21st century entrepreneurship and in the background what some of the oldest monuments of mankind yeah really interesting context now you made three observations for me in the pre-interview interview interview. you you noted that uh, the place to start in building an ecosystem for entrepreneurship is with the entrepreneurs that 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 is the central part you noted that it's important to screen for real entrepreneurs, that some of the people who are interested in entrepreneurship just aren't going to get there. And then third, you talk about the importance of bringing people together from all sort of angles, the government, investors, universities, and and educating them on entrepreneurship. Give us a little bit of insight in how you drew those conclusions while you were there on the ground. Um, the entrepreneurs, the, I, I met one in particular who was just awarded in Barcelona, I think Spain this week, uh, mobile app, most, uh, best potential mobile app. And he and I talked and talked about the other people in the startup grind Cairo. And I realized both from that and my experiences here in Utah, there's a lot of people who like to talk about being entrepreneurs and who never do anything. They just talk about it, um, whether it's fear of risk or whatever. And filtering those guys out, those men and women, is, is a key piece because they're, they're potentially a real drag on the ecosystem of people that never move. Um, on the other hand, unless you've got people like that guy, uh, Negan, I think is a horrible mispronunciation of his name, who go ahead and say, I'm going to make this work despite government restrictions on GPS-enabled apps because of security reasons, nothing will happen. Right? It's got to start somewhere, the chicken and the egg, and... I I can't see how the egg can be anything but the entrepreneurs problem solving their way through really complicated obstacles. Yeah. I guess each one as uh, he or she overcomes an obstacle becomes uh, a guidepost, a, a mile marker for the next entrepreneur that comes along. Right. Yeah. As long as we don't use the Donner party as the example. <laughs> 
Now, I'm curious about uh, what you saw in terms of the entrepreneurial community and women. Uh, we, our, our stereotype image of entrepreneurship in uh, much of the developing world uh, is that it's dominated by men. Uh, what did you see there, in fact? I did see some women uh, launching their business or trying to launch their businesses. Um, I think there's a, there's, there are some really big issues there. One male entrepreneur told me that sexual harassment of women on the streets in Cairo is huge. I can adjust the light again, by the way, my light just went out. Is that That's all right. Let's keep going. Uh, um, I did meet one woman who was uh, managing what's called a, a maker uh, station facility, you know, where they have 3D printers and yeah. various uh, pieces of equipment for prototyping. And she came across as uh, sharp and assertive. And she had, you know, the full hajib or however you uh, refer to that. Um, despite most of the women in that context of entrepreneurs not wearing that. So oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so they uh, they they weren't all uh, observant, or at least the most conservative Muslims uh, there wearing the full uh, veil and the whole thing. Interesting. I got the sense that, for the most part, the very conservative women dressing were from rural areas, and in the streets of Cairo, uh, the tight jean, waist-length leather jacket, uh, fancy purse was by far more common than uh, the more traditional dress. But the more I got away from sort of the college downtown scene, the more I saw traditional dress. Yeah. Now, as you got into that uh, little ecosystem, you, you, you talked about this idea of bringing people together from all different aspects of that community, the, the, the communities that are required to bring that together, universities, investors, uh, service providers, and government are they coming together now or is that something they need to do because they're simply not doing it from what you could see? I don't think there's a coordinated effort to bring all the players together at the same time in the same spot. So I saw a little bit of movement from the government side. I met a woman who has been very active in getting, uh, grants and loans from uh, the World Bank and, and other entities. And she was uh, involved with Startup Grind Cairo. I, I listened to her speak. Uh, I did come away from the sense that the government's focus is mostly micro lending at this point, or at least the people I talk to. Uh, although they're trying to expand beyond that, that's very new. Trying to connect with the venture folks, and uh, I was unable to do that. I, I guess you have to get the right introduction from a trusted person for them to even bother to respond to voicemails and emails. Interesting. 
Not so different than uh, some American uh, venture capitalists, I guess. So, uh, Steve, uh, I want to just talk a little bit about some of your travel experiences. So you you got an opportunity to uh, visit uh, the pyramids. Uh, What was that like? What was that experience like? Um, the, the pyramids. So we had a, uh, a guide who was a woman and I learned a little bit about the Bedouin versus the Egyptians, for lack of a better term. She was very, she was dressed traditionally, but she was very, uh, um, knowledgeable and, and a great tour. Uh, and so she took us out and asked and, and we asked and said, hey, we, we want to go on a camel ride, right? We want to take some camels and get a perspective of the pyramids from out in the jungle, jungle, desert, excuse me. And so she said, let me negotiate the deal for you. So she goes and talks to the really tall Bedouin guy. All, apparently the Bedouins have the camel franchise in Giza. Right? Only Bedouins can rent camels. And the Bedouin walks over to me and he said, now I want you to tell your tour guide when you get back, you had a good time because she told me that she's going to slit my throat if you come back saying you were harassed or pushed for money. And I like my throat and I like my life. So tell her nice things when you get back. (laughs) So that was my Big takeaway, my son was terrified of being on a camel. You really are far off the ground. Yeah. Don't ride like a horse. Yeah, I imagine not. Now, obviously, well, what what language do they speak in Egypt as the native language? And how often did you need a translator versus able to speak with people in, in English? Um, Arabic is the, you know, native language. Um, I, I think I lived in something of a bubble of English speaking. And so I can't really tell you, uh, what would happen if you got outside that bubble. Most of the people I dealt with spoke enough English to communicate We used guides everywhere, but that's kind of the way I like to travel is to have a trusted insider, and it worked out great. I would never have done this trip without guides to almost everything we did. We'd hire them as we got there, not like me. So what was the the highlight of the vacation part of the trip for you and your family? I think there were two. One was sitting out on the patio at night, they do a light show, a really cheesy sound and light show. Uh, but if you ignore the narrative and just watch the lights and, and the pyramids, that was really cool. And then in Luxor, it was wandering around to the various temples. The only pyramids in Egypt are outside of Cairo. I didn't realize, I guess I thought they were all over the country. Um, they're not. And... Luxor is all temples, and we just wandered around the temples uh, on our own. Some first with a guide, then without a guide, that kind of thing. And that was really cool. We had a great time doing that. That's great. Well, listen, Steve, 
uh, I really want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Before you go, tell us, uh, the, the audience, how people can get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your insights on Egypt. Well, the be- easiest way is steve at innoventures.com. One other point I'd like to do in closing is, you know, I, I talked briefly with you about the emotional ups and downs that I've gone through as I've thought about how do you scale something rather than just help one or two entrepreneurs. How do you create something that would help help a bunch and just the feeling of being overwhelmed by the political and economic obstacles to it? I'm yeah. grappling with that, but we are. I'm working with uh, Paul Alstrom and Brian Cummings, who some people may know, and we are. We just submitted a proposal today to try and replicate a model in Jamaica. So I'll let you know how that works and how Jamaica turns out to be different than Egypt. Fantastic. Well, Steve, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us. We wish you every success in your your work as you try to help entrepreneurs around the world. Thanks, Devin. All right. Let's do some good. At the intersection of financial services and social media, Gate Global Impact, GGI, uses new market infrastructure to facilitate investments in organizations that deliver a societal, environmental, and or a cause-related benefit in addition to a financial return. Seed Equity Ventures is a registered broker-dealer with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and a member of both FINRA and SIPC providing investment banking services to startups globally. Seed Equity's mission is to find the best and brightest entrepreneurs and connect them with global investors. Patch of Land is the leader in real estate crowdfunding with a mission to provide real estate entrepreneurs with easy access to capital from thousands of investors who want to invest in the revitalization of American neighborhoods. Patch of Land is building wealth and growing communities. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded via Google Hangouts on Air and is available at youtube.com forward slash Devinthorpe. Subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher or iTunes by searching for Your Mark on the World. Every weekday, Devin hosts a CEO, celebrity, entrepreneur or other changemaker here on the Your Mark on the World show to inspire and prepare you to make your mark. Devin is a champion of social good, writing about, advocating for, and advising people who are doing good. He is a Forbes contributor who is a recognized thought leader in social entrepreneurship, impact investing, and crowdfunding. To book Devin as a speaker, visit devinthorpe.com. Learn more about Devin's work at yourmarkontheworld.com.